0: So yeah, this whole episode was made selfishly because this was a great excuse to do a deep dive in behind-the-scenes footage of The Shining, interviews with the cast and crew, and all of those weird theories that the movie has seemed to birth. I'll also be tying this into some completely unexpected things. We've got Franklin Roosevelt, we've got Dumb and Dumber, we've got more secret societies, more Frank Lloyd Wright, so let's dive into the history of the hotels that inspired The Shining. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Welcome to Interstate Odyssey. I'm your host, Sophie Peterson. If you like learning about obscure, fantastical, and even some potentially haunted places throughout America, you've come to the right place. Each week, I'll be covering different roadside attractions throughout the United States. The good, the bad and the absolutely strange. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 3! Let's just jump right in, I hope everyone's week has been going well, um, and I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit about what I've been up to. A couple of weeks ago, since I spent all of my time in our apartment watching movies at this point, thanks COVID, I turned on the 2018 film adaptation of Stephen King's sequel to The Shining called Dr. Sleep. What a fitting film during the times of COVID, especially now that we're in the midst of winter. The movie was pretty good, but the set design and meticulous replication of the original set in Stanley Kubrick's 1980 film, The Shining, was stunning. I worked in film production design and art direction in my pre-COVID life, so I've always been fascinated by the process that directors and production designers use to come up with these immersive worlds, and a perfect example of this is the Overlook Hotel. Also, The Shining is a movie that I just watch over and over and over again, and I'm like weirdly obsessed with it. Plus, I just found out while researching for this episode that HBO has ordered a new show from Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams called The Overlook, so I figured this would be a great primer for the upcoming HBO treatment that this horror mainstay is about to get. The Shining was made in 1980, long before Google was even a concept, so finding inspiration had to come from boots-on-the-ground scouting and research instead of relying on internet search engines for reference materials. With that idea in mind, I decided that a great way to incorporate my love of film into my love of roadside attractions would be to cover the hotels that Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick used as inspiration for the book and subsequent film. This week, we'll be going west visiting locations in Oregon, Colorado, and California as we uncover the roots of one of the most frightening, iconic locations in movie history. So, I made an executive decision this afternoon as I was doing the final edit on this episode that I'm throwing way too much information at y'all in one sitting, so I'm splitting this into a two-parter simply to make this a little bit more digestible. So, the only way that I knew how to divide this up is to do a Stephen King episode and a Stanley Kubrick episode. I'll start with the hotels of The Shining that are directly related to the original book written in 1977 by Stephen King, and then move on to the hotels that are directly related to the 1980 film and thusly Stanley Kubrick. So, if you're interested in the book, this is your episode. And if you're interested in the movie, then skip on over to episode four. If you're interested in both, then congratulations, we've got a whole bunch of content coming at you. This episode, I'll be covering the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, with the history of the hotel, its creators, and why Stephen King thought it was interesting enough to write a book about. Let's dive in. And, 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 and. obligatory plug here, but If you're enjoying this content, even a little, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Interstate Odyssey. Before we kick things off, I should probably give a spoiler alert right here about the film and book The Shining, because we're going to cover a lot of different scenes from them both in these next episodes. I'm assuming I don't need to do this, because y'all have had about 40 years to read and watch it, but you never know. The general synopsis is that Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, takes a job as the off-season caretaker of the isolated Overlook Hotel, located in the Rocky Mountains, as an opportunity to finish the book he's trying to write. He brings his wife, Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, and his son, Danny, played by Danny Lloyd, who has a supernatural telepathic ability called The Shining. Jack's mind quickly begins to unravel as he and his family find more and more anomalies and horrors throughout the expansive hotel that they're all alone in. It's a story that revolves around the location it takes place in, making it clear that the hotel is the root of these hauntings, and the ultimate reason for Jack's descent into madness. So, how did the Overlook Hotel come to be? What went into the formation of scenes from the book and movie that can only be described as iconic? and 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 just one more thing that i figured i should mention since this is episode three already that i'm making this podcast completely on my own i do all of the audio engineering the script writing recording distribution whatever basically at my kitchen table so if i get any dates or locations messed up please bear with me i'll do my best to correct as i go but yeah this is a one sof show for now which means i might slip up every once in a while but back to our regularly scheduled program For those of you who might not be super familiar with The Shining, it was a book written by Stephen King in 1974 and was then adapted into a film, written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson and directed by Stanley Kubrick. There are some clear changes that were made between the book and the film, so we're going to be investigating the hotel that inspired the book, as well as the hotels that inspired the iconic set design for the Overlook Hotel in the film. So, the first hotel we're going to cover is the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. I actually did my freshman year orientation in Estes Park after being accepted to Colorado State University, so this particular place is very special to me, in spite of the fact that I got altitude sickness and I'm absolutely garbage at hiking up or down mountains. I still love it! The first date we're going to cover is 1874. A guy that went by the name of Wyndham Wyndham Quinn, yes, that's his real name, double Wyndham, one with an I, one with a Y, purchased 15,000 acres of land in Colorado for a game park and built a small tourist hotel there as well. Even though he went by the title Wyndham Wyndham Quinn, he was also referred to as the 4th Earl of Dunraven. This dude has a surprisingly long Wikipedia page for someone that I have literally never heard of, but duh, this guy is basically the reason that we now have Rocky Mountain National Park. He also has some streets named after him in London, as well as Dunraven Pass in Yellowstone. There's even a Dunraven Peak near Yellowstone as well, in the Washburn range. And last but not least, since I'm an art person, this made my ears perk up. He commissioned paintings by Albert Bierstadt of this land with the intent to hang them in his schmancy castles back in the UK. And thanks to that, we know have some really fab landscapes of this area that we know as Estes Park. Look them up, they're breathtaking and a really good reminder of the incredible land that we need to protect now more than ever. But eventually, the Earl of Dunraven sold his property in the early 1900s because of the increasing interest from encroaching settlers that he frankly didn't want to deal with. So this is where our story of the Stanley Hotel starts. But first, I'm going to give you a little background about the creator of the place, Freeland Oscar Stanley. He was born and raised in Maine, of course, which bolsters my theory that Stephen King might be a time traveler, which is why he's able to come up with so many story ideas, because as we all know, he's from Maine, too. Anyways, (laughs) he was born June 1st, 1849. So like right after the Earl of Dunraven initially purchased the land in Estes Park. He grew up with many other siblings, including a twin brother named Francis. Now, Francis and Freeland were apparently quite enterprising young lads because they went into business together when they were nine, refining maple syrup and selling it to people. A theme that really seems to connect roadside attractions is just these wicked smart people with no outlet for that intelligence, or maybe not the right outlet for them to share their intelligence. Anyways, Freeland and Francis were clearly on their way, and by the time the boys graduated from what we now know as University of Maine-Farmington, they had plans of being educators. I think some of their inexhaustible motivation was due to the fact that they had to have a very active lifestyle after suffering from tuberculosis as children. Somewhere in their college years, Francis decided school wasn't his thing, so he decided to drop out and create a whole new method of developing photography called dry plate. Okay, that's not true. This was kind of a Ford sort of thing where dry plate techniques had actually existed for quite a while, but Francis figured out how to make this mass production friendly, and the Stanley Dry Plate Company had begun. The brothers didn't stop there, though. Soon after the Stanley Dry Plate Company was started, Francis began development of a motorized carriage that was powered by its speed. I guess Freeland was more of the execution than the idea guy because his brother Francis was just coming up with new innovations seemingly left and right. By the time Freeland was 54 and had multiple successful family companies under his belt, he was struck with a flare-up of tuberculosis that he had suffered from as a child. This is when the idea of Colorado was brought up to him, mainly for its dry mountain air and abundance of sunlight. I used to live in Colorado, and I genuinely think moving to Colorado is an upgrade from any other state in the lower 48. I mean, I know I'm biased, but it's so beautiful. And just like Philadelphia, it's always sunny. Now he's in Colorado, loving life, and thought it would be a great time to upgrade this untamed wilderness and put in a fancy summer house for him and his wife Augusta. The original house was built in a colonial revival style by Stanley's friend Henry Lord Cornwallis Rogers, who I I can't find a goddamn thing about him other than he designed the Stanley's original house, and calling him Lord Cornwallis makes this seem like it took place in the 1700s and not at the turn of the last century, so maybe I should just leave that part out, I don't know. Anyways, the actual Stanley Hotel was built after Freeland and his wife Augusta were like, okay, it's beautiful here, but we're bored. So they employed the help of Robert Weiger, local Denver architect, to come on board and build the Stanley Hotel as we know it today. So they and other Tony East Coasters could take in all of that good air Colorado had to offer. In 1907, the property that was formerly owned by the Earl of Dunraven was split between B.D. Stanford and, of course, our friend Freeland Oscar Stanley. The hotel looked anachronistic in this primarily uninhabited area of Colorado at the turn of the century, what with its indoor plumbing, electric lights, and other high-society East Coast amenities that were at guests' fingertips. Something that I found funny was that when the Stanleys were building the hotel, they considered naming it the Dunraven, but the previous landowner, Lord Dunraven, had such a bad reputation amongst the locals that they literally sent Freeland a petition telling him, hell no, please name it after yourself instead. He obliged, and in 1909, the Stanley was up and running. Remember how I said it was super fancy because it was one of the only places that had electricity? Well, they were also big on gas power as well, and that came back to bite them a couple of years later because in 1911, a pipe leaking blew the place up and started a huge fire. Ultimately, no one was killed, but one maid named Lizzie got thrown out of a window and broke both her ankles. This is an interesting parallel to the book The Shining because instead of Jack freezing to death like in the movie, He gets blasted to high heaven from a faulty boiler. Something that I didn't love about the Stanley but totally understand is that they really play up this event and kind of tie it back to why the hotel is definitely maybe haunted. I'm not quite sure who would be haunting it though because nobody died in the explosion, but whatever, I get it. Actually, the more I read about the Stanley and its creator Freeland, This hotel seemed like the opposite of a haunted house and more of this cool, innovative wellness retreat at the time. Freeland and his wife Augusta even lived into their 90s and died within less than a year of each other, which is more notebook than Haunted Mansion. So let's fast forward a bit. The year is 1974, and it's October 30th, the day before Halloween. At this point, the Stanley Hotel had begun to fall into disrepair, and an author named Stephen King was spending a short stint living in Boulder, Colorado, with his wife Tabitha. Apparently, he was in the process of writing a novel with the working title Dark Shine that took place in an amusement park. I would outline the rest of this story, but a short excerpt from the book Stephen King Companion by George Beam does a way better, more concise job. On the advisement of locals who suggested a resort hotel located in Estes Park, an hour's drive away to the north, Stephen and Tabitha King found themselves checking in at the Stanley Hotel just as its other guests were checking out, because the hotel was shutting down for the winter season. After checking in and after Tabitha went to bed, King roamed the halls and went down to the hotel bar where drinks were served by a bartender named Grady. As he returned to his room, number 217, his imagination was fired up by the hotel's remote location, its grand size, and its eerie desolation. And when King went into the bathroom and pulled back the pink curtain for the tub, which had claw feet, he thought, what if somebody died here? At that moment, I knew I had a book. King also characterizes the trip in a couple different interviews, noting that he and his wife were served dinner in an empty dining room accompanied by canned orchestral music. He was quoted saying, Except for our table, all the chairs were up on tables, so the music is echoing down the hall, and I mean, it was like God had put me there to hear and see those things. And by the time I went to bed that night, I had the whole book, The Shining, in my mind. There's also an infamous story about how, while at the hotel, he had a nightmare involving his three-year-old son being chased down the halls of the Stanley Hotel by a giant animated fire hose that was trying to consume him. Upon waking from this dream, he got out of bed, lit a cigarette, and by the time he was done smoking, he had come up with a rough outline of the beginning, middle, and end of what would be The Shining. This is totally unrelated to the hotel itself, but I just read an article stating that the concept of the shining where having these telepathic abilities that danny and dick halloran shared came from a john lennon song instant karma you know where he says and we all shine on if stephen king ever hears this podcast please stephen can i call you stephen let me know if that's true or bunk because if it's true then i'll be two for three with an episode with a beatles reference I think the lack of actual hauntedness in the Stanley Hotel is a testament to Stephen King's storytelling. It's kind of like a divine cavity situation where his story just eventually became canon to people who have heard of the Stanley Hotel and that he got his inspiration for the book there. I have a feeling the number of ghost sightings shot upward markedly after the book was published and probably even more after the movie came out. In the past couple of years, the hotel has even built a bar that mimics the look of the iconic gold room in the Overlook. I mean, what a great marketing idea, especially since Stephen King said directly that he went to an empty bar in the hotel and was served by a bartender named Grady. But the look of the bar is pure Kubrick and feels sort of inauthentic to me, but I'm a purist with a wicked superiority complex and can honestly be kind of a dick about these things so don't read too much into my criticism. That being said, my whole experience with the Stanley Hotel and visiting it for a tour was odd, to say the least. I remember visiting, god, almost a decade ago now, when I was just a little so, and remember it being advertised as where The Shining was filmed. And yeah, The Shining was filmed there, but Not the Kubrick Shining that we all think it was referencing. Nope, the Shining miniseries reboot that was produced by Stephen King as kind of this retaliatory statement to his perception of Kubrick absolutely bungling the movie adaptation of his book. Still, very cool, and honestly the most exciting part of the tour is just knowing that you're hanging out in a place Stephen King once hung out in. One thing that I didn't really expect is how much they sell the connection of Dumb and Dumber to the Stanley Hotel teen Sophie felt some very tourist-trappy vibes from this bait-and-switch, and again, this was all interesting information, but I had come to this hotel to be haunted. Perhaps I was tormented by the images of Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey in pastel leisure suits around every corner, but not haunted. I think I left wanting more because the hotel lacked tangible connection to The Shining as we know it, which was more of a me problem than the hotel itself. One thing that I did think was pretty neat, though, is that the famed Room 217, and throughout the entire hotel, is that they have a dedicated channel on their TV that just plays The Shining on a loop. And I know, it's shitty to think about the fact that this place isn't as haunted as we want it to be, but I figure I respect my listeners enough not to try and fool them. It also makes me think about how much dark tourism has become a thing in the past couple of decades, when before it was actually a detractor if something was labeled as haunted. In 2020 we're experiencing such a fascination with the occult and hauntings that real estate agents can literally sell property based on how haunted a place may or may not be luckily i'm not trying to sell anyone the stanley hotel so i don't feel too bad saying that when i was here i didn't feel any haunted vibes even though i desperately wanted to and and and, and one last thing the stanley hotel is known for being the inspiration for the shining obviously But did you know that it is often misattributed as the inspiration for another wildly popular Stephen King book? On the Stanley Hotel's property, there was a pet cemetery located on the hill, leading readers to suspect that this was the one that Stephen King was writing about when he wrote his book, Pet Cemetery. The reality is that he was inspired by a pet cemetery in his family's backyard in Maine, of course. Right now, you might be thinking, okay, this place you just described doesn't really sound at all like the set in the movie, and that's because they're totally different, and inspired by different hotels. Check out part two to learn all about why Kubrick deviated from the original book, what led him to those choices, and the history behind the hotels that inspired a horror movie that still terrifies viewers. Also, I told you guys about my experience at the Stanley Hotel, but I'm interested in hearing if any of you have been there, and what you thought of it. I finally made an email for the podcast, so if you feel like sharing, drop me a line at interstateodyssey at gmail.com. Now, let's check out part two.